Welcome to another Tyrius Cast. I'm Jim McGregor. And I'm Kevin Crewell. And today we're going to discuss some of the winners and losers across the industry resulting from the long-term impact of the coronavirus, otherwise known as COVID-19. Previously, we talked about the impact in the tech conferences. The virus first claimed the annual Mobile World Congress conference and exhibit in Barcelona, and cancellations are affecting many other conferences through June. Yeah, one of the key things that keeps coming up is how this is going to have huge global impact, and it is especially with the economy affecting the U.S. and Europe so drastically right now. But, you know, as we keep looking at this, we're also finding that there's going to be some winners out of this. Now, we think from Tyria's research perspective that this is going to have an impact on society and many industries going forward. This is one of those events that happens in a lifetime that's going to create kind of one of those inflection points in terms of the way we look at life, the way we look at society, and the way we look at technology. But and and like I said, not all of that is necessarily bad. So we're going to, you know, we're going to note some of the losers, but we're also going to try light try to highlight some of the key technologies and some of the key winners that come out of this. Right, Kevin? Sure. It's definitely going to change how we view the future and the winners will be the ones who adapt to this or who are ready to adapt to it. But there are going to be a number of losers that are, are going to be impacted by a uh, lack of travel, the move away from conferences. It's, you know, the impact on just on the all global economy. Yeah, I mean, it definitely changes how we think about working, how we think about communicating. I mean, just from that perspective, one of the obvious winners here is conferencing services, web conferencing services. The big one that seems to be really winning despite you know having solutions from Cisco with WebEx, Skype and team meetings from Microsoft, Hangouts from Google. It's the newer entrant, Zoom, that seems to be really benefiting from this as a lot of the universities seem to prefer that, that platform. There are certain advantages to it, um, although I've talked, uh, some other people are big fans of Google Hangout. One of the hard challenges is scaling, having lots of people on a call together. And that's where I think Zoom's done pretty well. Hangouts does pretty well, but Hangouts is you know inside the Google ecosystem, whereas Zoom is a more of a, a third-party solution. One company you didn't mention, Citrix GoToMeeting, is also benefiting as well. But yeah, the, the idea that we can now use video conferencing services more frequently for meetings. It's working out reasonably well. I've been on a number of these video calls and we've got some very productive sessions put together. Yeah, I actually helped an ASU professor set up for using Zoom just last weekend. And it was interesting because he was really, really paranoid about it and wasn't sure how it was going to work and was worried about how this was going to affect his teaching. And once he got into it and saw how easy it was to set up, plus especially when you're using the paid version of Zoom where you have a little bit more features and everything else and the fact that everyone can share their screens, share their information, everything else, he actually got really, really excited about it. Yeah, there's a lot of management capability within Zoom that uh, is interesting and that's actually I think there's a boss mode where your boss can, can kind of drop in on a Zoom meeting and see who's paying attention and who's not. 
Uh oh. Or who actually dressed for work that day? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I think the pajama industry is going to do well uh, in this time. <laughs> there you go. Actually, yeah, yeah. Casual, casual attire is definitely in for the new mode of working. Right, they need a they need a pajamas where it's pajama bottoms and then a work top, so it looks like a suit on top, but it's pajamas on the bottom. There you go. Well, and the other key thing about Zoom that a lot of people that I've talked to that are using it and other platforms is when you can change the background, when you can do the digital change in the background. So, I mean, you could be doing it from a closet or a messy room, and if you can put some kind of background behind you, and they're not perfect, but it does give you flexibility to be able to do it from anywhere. Yeah, we're not quite ready for everybody to put a green screen behind them. So, but that's the ultimate but yeah, having digital backgrounds, uh, Skype's had some versions of that, I think Hangouts, and that does foster a, uh, a more work-like environment. Yeah, and this is obviously going to benefit anybody that's providing cloud services, anybody providing internet and communication services, definitely people also providing some of the technical solutions, some uh, like the, the microphones, the headphones, the PCs, the monitors, any of that equipment that people are going to be using. Logitech, I think, is one that comes to mind in terms of webcams. They're probably one of the leaders in that area. And the actually, think about it this way. What would this have been like if we didn't have video cameras and laptops and internet connection and we were trapped in our homes but without the ability to stream Netflix, Hulu's videos to our, our, our Disney Plus for people with kids? It, it would be far worse experience. Yeah, it would have been devastating, I agree. And those content, you mentioned Disney Plus and Netflix. You know, obviously these content service providers are definitely going to be big winners in this change. Yeah, you know, Disney stock has been sort of like floundering a bit, but that's because, you know, they also rely on people going to the movies. And the movie theaters are suffering horribly. Even when they've spaced people out in the movies, more people are just not going to movies at all. And in California here, right now, because we're in a shelter in place, the movie theaters are pretty much shut down. Yeah, and I think that there's other opportunities here. We keep talking about the explosion of VR and the potential for VR. Obviously, VR is now really impacting gaming. So we've seen this with the Oculus Go, or an Oculus, Oculus, Oculus Quest. Quest. Sorry, Quest. Um, the ability to do really interactive games you know, we need to get to that kind of ready player one environment, not just for games, but for this virtual environment for people to work in a virtual environment together. And whether it's for designs, whether it's mutual interaction and or even trade conferences and, or trade shows and conferences where you can do that one on one interaction with people. You know, the, one of the challenges for VR is to get your avatar to represent your real face expressions, because you, they can simulate it, use AI to kind of figure out what your mouth's doing and where your eyes are maybe looking. But without real face tracking, it's hard to get your avatar to look like you and to really express yourself as much as you would express yourself in person. So uh, there's still limitations there. But, you know, VR, and this is definitely one of those technologies everybody's sort of looking to, but it isn't quite ready to, to pick up the mantle here for virtual conferences and virtual experiences in this type of situation yeah but it may this will push it forward i think this is a, one of those opportunities where people are going to say what do we need to do to, to make vr more interesting or more useful in these types of situations 
Yeah, and you know, one of the comments I've gotten is that, well, by going to this environment, we're losing a lot of that personal interaction. I kind of disagree with that. I think we've already gone to this digital interaction with social networking. This just kind of pushes us to a new level of using that social, the digital social environment in new ways and to push the technology to make it better. Yeah, a lot of people are already just connected through digital anyway, so I think this is uh, not unexpected to, to, to be part of a, this digital experience people have with each other. You know, one other thing, I think we talked about webcams, but right now everybody's thinking about whether they have a good enough Wi-Fi router in their house. As uh, as everybody's uh, crowded into one house and they're all using the, the Wi-Fi all at the same time, we may see some people upgrading their Wi-Fi routers real soon. Well, especially with the latest Wi-Fi 6 standard out there, that's providing more data, more users, more bandwidth, you know, better quality of service. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a huge opportunity. But, you know, this isn't really just tend to, especially us, because of who we are and what we track, we tend to think about the tech industry, but this really has implications across society to other industries. One of the ones that really dawned on me, especially as I was helping that ASU professor, was the fact that the impact this could have on education and just describing it to him. A lot of colleges, especially at Arizona State, have really already tried to push online programs. Stanford's doing it, MIT's doing it, a lot of a lot of universities are doing it. But to really get this across to the professors and to everyone else to say, listen, you don't have to invest in all this brick and mortar and you can reach ten hundred thousand times more students around the globe if you can create that digital learning experience. But the one limitation right now we have is really providing that educational experience for physical sciences, for physical interaction, you know, like physics, like chemistry, like biology. And I don't think that's that far out of reach either. Because if you think of what we're doing with AI and simulation technology, you know, being able to simulate complete cars and chips and you name it, with these very complex environments, I don't think it's that far off that we could actually do that for education. Yeah, no, we were talking about this. Is it's an interesting idea? Where right now, I mean, we've had online learning for a long time. Um, yeah, Phoenix University is one of the first ones that I. Remember. That's right. That's they were right. the early, but we could now move to this to a space where we could actually simulate a lot of the labs digitally. We've got the tools to do that. We've got the simulations, we've got the algorithms, we've got, you know, the GPUs in the cloud or on your desktop. You could actually probably do a virtual lab using this type of simulation environments. So that would be an interesting way to change things up. We wouldn't need a physical lab, we wouldn't need all the chemicals, we wouldn't need all the precautions, and you could do it all in a, a simulated environment. Yeah. Well, and education is just one of them. You mentioned earlier that uh, this could definitely benefit, in the long run, transportation and services. Yeah. One of the things that's, especially right now in California and, and other places that are in shelter-in-place mode, we're getting delivery services that I think are picking up. A lot of restaurants are only in a to-go takeout um, uh, format right now. So DoorDashes and uh, Uber Eats and all those food delivery services are picking up the slack and getting food to people. Yeah, I, I, and I think that could extend to so many different types of personal services, not to mention, you know, especially as we get to autonomous drones and stuff like that, it's a huge opportunity. 
I also think medicine is one. Medicine has traditionally kind of shunned uh, advances in technology or been very slow to adopt them. Teledoc services have become very popular lately, but especially here in the U.S. where you have the FDA regulating equipment and solutions, especially for doing diagnosis or validating any type of information, they've really limited what what uh, mobile solutions could do. Or, But I don't know of a single doctor that doesn't use an online database to help them diagnose what's going on with people. I think if we start enabling, and I, hopefully this is a push for the U.S. government and other governments around the world, to start allowing these mobile technology solutions to help diagnose people. And quite honestly, in some cases, with AI, we may not need a physical doctor. We may actually get a good diagnosis through AI, through a virtual doctor, an AI doctor. Yeah. Part of the challenge has been HIPAA compliance. The concern with telemedicine and telehealth is that the patient privacy is still respected. And that's why it's required solutions that require that had encryption and other protections of the patient privacy. One of the actually one of the aspects of Zoom that's worked out reasonably well for some of the telemedicine stuff is that it is an encrypted uh, channel. So the I think I don't know if it's officially HIPAA compliant, but uh, I think a number of doctors are using using it for that application. Yeah, no, and I I agree with you. I think all too often the. Uh, a lot of the medical service providers hide behind HIPAA saying, oh, we can't share our data. We can't improve this diagnosis, this diagnosis tool or AI and everything else because we don't want to share. It's really not that they can't share the data. It's that they don't want to share the data because they can share the data as long as they don't share the personal information about the patient. I mean, if we took all that diagno- all that digital information that's been created, especially over the past decade that's been digitized, I have no doubt that AI could do a better job in many cases than the physical doctors, the actual doctors. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's also um, having a, an impact on health is the application of some of the supercomputer stuff, especially now we're trying to crack this COVID-19 virus and understand it. A number of the supercomputer vendors or vendors like NVIDIA are donating time on their servers to uh, researchers in this area. There are, a lot of people are, there are a lot of people are stepping up to for the researchers to accelerate this process as we're, it's a critical that we understand this virus as quickly as possible and to come up with treatments. Yeah, so I, I think the key thing that we want to communicate to people is that, yeah, this is this is going to be one of those once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully once-in-a-lifetime events that has an impact on technology, on society, just on the entire globe on how we think about things. But not all of it's bad. Some of it could actually produce new technology, new services, and you know even change society in the way we think and the way we live and the way we work. Now, and also, one of the uh, side, well, I would say benefits, but one of the, the impacts is because of human activities been limited right now, we're seeing changes in pollution. We're seeing, I mean, one of the interesting changes is because uh, of the tourism industry in Venice is pretty much shut down, the canal, the water in the canals have gotten clean. You can actually see fish in the canals. They're not being disturbed. It looks cleaner and, and nicer than uh, than the canals have looked in decades, probably. 
Yeah, even the dolphins are coming closer to the canals and to shore because of that. So they're seeing more dolphin activity around Venice because of that. I agree. This, I mean, this may help us reduce the carbon footprint of society. At least we can see what happens, how things change when we reduce our carbon footprint. So that's this is a it's sort of an experiment here too uh, that is uh, unique. I'm sure that another researchers in climatology are going to be studying this this event for a long time. So you know, as we go forward, anybody that's listening to this, please you know try not to be too much in panic mode. This will pass, like everyone else, everything else does. But there may be some benefits out of it. And I think the opportunity lies in finding those benefits. And finding solutions to uh, problems. This has uh, certainly pointed out a number of challenges to society. So with that, it brings us to a wrap of another Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advisory services to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product company competitive analysis, M&A evaluations, product and corporate strategic planning, and even marketing strategies. If you'd like more information about Tyrius Research or inquire about our services, please contact us directly. I'm Kevin at Tyrius Research, and Jim is Jim at Tyrius Research, and that's T-I-R-I-A-S Research. And you can visit us on our website, TyriusResearch.com, and be prepared for an update coming soon to the website. And keep up with us on social media. Twitter feed is at Tyrius Research. I'm at Crewell, so that has also some of my personal views of the world. Jim is at Tech Strategist, and that's at T-E-K-S-T-R-A-G-E-G-I-S-T. And then uh, read our articles in Forbes, EE Times, and ECT News. Uh, we also have some new white papers posted on our website, so check those out as well. Yeah, actually, there's a couple new ones going up this week as we speak. Also look for more information and podcasts from us on EE Times. We've been working with them on some of their podcasts. Well, thank you for joining us. If you have any feedback on this Tyrius cast or recommendations for future Tyrius cast, please contact us directly at kevin at com or jim at com. Thank you and have a great day. Mm-hmm.